This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirdis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. T.L. Grey Hot. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer, and join with me today are the incalculably amazing Amy and the impressively incredible Richard. Amy, how are you doing? Wow, that's a lot of eyes in there. That's pretty awesome. I'm doing great, enjoying my summer. School is out, so I don't have to be so uh, calculating now. <laughs> <laughs> it's my summer break. <laughs> Excellent. Well, surely you think about math during the summer, too. Oh, yes, I do. It's it's nonstop, you guys. It's a curse, really, <laughs> and a blessing. It's like, forget this. I'm on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing good today. Just not enjoying the summer like Amy does, but uh, uh, close enough, I guess. <laughs> yeah, time off from work what, during the summer? What's that? I know, right? What is that? <laughs> it's two months of bliss, you guys. Let me tell you all about it. <laughs> okay, maybe another time so we don't feel too jealous. Well, before we get started, we have some Babel Conference feedback, uh, this time from episode 229, where we talked about the wounded. Um, Amy, do you want to read the first comment? Yeah. Brandon Shamutella says, Thanks so much, Richard Marquez, for opening up this episode. It was very brave of you and a difficult thing to do. Yep, it was really good. And your comments were just so pertinent and and really led to a great discussion. Yeah, and I, maybe we didn't say it enough on the episode, but thank you so much for sharing about your experience and thank you for the your service and all that you've done. So very much appreciated. And we got other comments like, like this in the Babel conference as well. Really appreciating what you had to say in that episode. Yeah, it definitely was a uh, difficult uh, thing to talk about. It's something that I don't typically talk about, obviously, because of the sensitivity of the, uh, of the actual issue, but yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. It's not something I, I like talking about, but like, yeah. Um, it's important though to discuss. Yeah, I didn't even know there was any comments really going on right now because I was, I was really avoiding the, this the the Babel conference because I had a feeling there was going to be a couple of them, and then Brandon was uh, sent me a message and you know in basically verbatim what he said, and I'm like oh so I guess I'll just take a look at it. And, you know it was nice to see it was nice to see that so yeah. Well, and uh, Chris Hill said, another great episode. I'm right there with Richard and O'Brien. It has given me a thought about another podcast where those like myself, Richard, and Ken Tripp over on Standard Orbit talk about Trek and how it relates to slash helped us get through our service. 
So thanks, Chris, for that comment. I don't think I discussed the. Uh, what's the? I, I actually have um, seasons. I have seasons five through seven um, of Deep Space. No, four through seven, and then seasons five and six for Next Generation. Right, I'm sorry. Why did I say seven? <laughs> anyway, so are those uh, the ones you have on like Blu-ray or? Uh, actually, it was DVD at that time. Oh, DVD. Yeah, it would have to be. Oh DVD. yeah, yeah. Back then, sorry, back then. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. I used to watch all of those and then voyager 2 I, I think i had like three four and six or something like that it was it was whatever was available at the px they didn't have really online ordering at that time but like yeah i used to watch those all the time and yeah um they did get me through some tough times on certain episodes uh that were there in those seasons so yeah for sure yeah so matt D, uh, dt said one of the best episodes of the series in my humble opinion Excellent plot, and I love seeing other Federation ships. It's so rare in the series due to the model costs. Absolutely, and it's and if it was cheaper, I bet you we would have saw a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Well, you end up seeing a lot of. Well, yeah. I think what's interesting. I think they did introduce like a new ship for this, and that was rare for the next generation. So you get more of that maybe later in Deep Space Nine, but they still reuse a lot of ships. <laughs> but yeah. It's definitely, I mean, as you heard in our discussion, an amazing episode and so many great things about it. Yeah, Wes Huntington says, when you talk about O'Brien in this episode, some of the things he says about the Cardassians are the same thing in DS9. And then there are times when he flat out hates the Cardassians. One line from DS9 stands out as his hatred of the race. Quote, gentle was bred out these people a long time ago. End quote. Keiko immediately says, you know, that was a very ugly thing you said. It contrasts with this episode quite nicely. I would give the episode Cardassians, where the line I mentioned was said, contrasting to this introductory episode, and it was a nice way that given time, your opinions can change for the better or for the worse. You know, that's funny. I actually just watched this episode not too long ago, and I forgot about that line uh, that Keiko said that. Wasn't that season two? That's season two, I'm, isn't it? I'm looking it up. Yeah, that was early season two. So really only like, what, a year, year and a half after the wounded. So yeah, and I don't know if it's just, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but I don't know if it's in, in DS9, he just had more interaction with the Cardassians and seeing more of how they could be and not liking what they had done to the Bajorans and all of that. But but yeah, I think it's it stands out much much stronger, and that's why I was trying to qualify things a little bit. Like in this next generation episode, this seems to be where he's at. But maybe he changed a little bit later, or maybe it was always there and he was hiding it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and your experiences are going to influence your opinions. So maybe it's because he just hated trying to fix da- fix this uh, broken down Cardassian <laughs> station. So like, yeah, <laughs> it was always breaking down. Yeah, it was like. Ah, these Cardassians. <laughs> Gentle was bred out of their stations. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's uh, not to make too much light of it. But yeah, it is interesting how he changes because he has to spend so much more time around them or maybe it comes comes out more. Yeah. So thank you everyone for your Babel Conference feedback. This week with uh, Father's Day in the U.S. coming up the Sunday after this episode comes out, we are going to talk about the fathers of TNG. Uh, You might remember last month we talked about the mothers of TNG, and this time we're talking about the fathers. We have a whole list. Hope we've gotten the ones that listeners are thinking about, but you'll have to let us know if, if there's some that we didn't get. Let's start out through the list. So 
First up, we have <clears throat> Will Riker's father, Kyle Riker, who basically has a whole episode, The Icarus Factor, where he comes by, he's supposed to give this briefing to Riker about his his new mission, but <clears throat> really he wants to reconnect with him and they have it out in the Ambo Jitsu ring at the end. <laughs> I think there's a lot more that yes, go, goes do. on, but like, what do you guys think about like Kyle Riker as, as a, a father? He's been kind of away or absent. They've had this kind of frosty relationship for a while, but it does seem like he's trying to make some sort of effort to, to reconnect. Um, Richard, what do you think? Um, I actually like Kyle Riker. Um, I mean, he, he strikes me as a person that uh, does tough love. Uh, I, I guess, you know, uh, like giving him the proper education to, to the point where, you know, he's going to throw them out, uh, throw them out there in, into the wolves and basically say, you figure it out sort of thing. And I mean, granted, I, I, it, you know, obviously we don't actually see when Riker was a kid or, or, you know, really what, what really uh, actually happened between the two. I mean, given that, you know, his mother died and, you know, basically it was up to him. I mean, it's difficult enough to do it as one parent I mean, as is. And then on top of that, I don't know what career he had. And then of course, Alaska as well. So I really think, I really like him mainly because he's one of those parents that are like tough love, you know, you know, we can only make do with what we have and, you know, I'm only one person. So, you know, that's how, that's how I see him. I mean, yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to say not father of the year material. Um, I just, I have issues with Kyle because I, and I don't want to sound too harsh. So, so I won't, I'll try, I'll preface it. He definitely goes through a difficult time losing his wife. And you can assume that, uh, him and his wife have not been together that long, uh, you know, he was assuming that he was going to spend the rest of his life with his lovely bride and, you know, she was killed or she died. And that affects him so much so where I think I see it that he is so overcome with grief and he doesn't reach out to Riker enough and so then this rift comes between them. And I'm just like, dude, you're a parent. And there's times where you need to suck it up and not be selfish. And you can't let that event ruin your child. You know, if it's going to ruin you, you have to have that separate. And you still have to continue and be this father for your son. And this lack of communication that they have lasts for so long. I will give him credit that, yes, he does come back and he does want to have a better relationship. So kudos for that, that it only took him, you know, 20 years to figure that out. But I just I just see it as being so selfish when he's got this son that needs him so desperately and he just shut him out of his life. All right. Go go ahead, Richard. If you had something. Well, I was uh, okay. So I was just going to add on to that. You know, it, it's really. I mean, I, I guess I could say the same thing. Um, what William Riker went through in his childhood as well. You know, I mean, I didn't lose my mom. My mom's not obviously dead, but it certainly felt like it when they my parents got divorced when I was four, three, three. No, no, no. It was four. Um, and you know, if I can, I I mean. 
I guess uh, I would. F- I I feel the same way when it comes to, like being abandoned and not uh, not really not 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 feeling that center of attention or or at least you know that uh, that kind of like growing up with a father that actually will teach and do everything because there was a point in time where yeah I I mean I wasn't wasn't the the model you know, son either <laughs> when it came to growing up. But at the same time, you know, I blamed him for a lot of things. And, you know, it, it got to the point where it was like, you know, I don't think it, I don't think it really hit home until I, until I became a parent and started realizing like, Oh no, maybe I shouldn't have said that to my dad <laughs> sort mm-hmm. of thing. And I understand that I, now I do. Um, and it, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, it's even, I, I can only imagine. I mean, I have Jennifer, I have, my um eva's a mom as well and we've got all kinds of support and you know it's somewhat easier um it, i mean it, by by all means parenting is not easy by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> whatsoever um but like I, I can only imagine being a single parent doing that all by yourself i mean i mean again we, we don't know what kind of support he had so i mean all we knew is that his mother, uh, his mother, uh, Riker's mom died when he was two. So that's all we really know about her. So, yeah. Right. Well, we do know that he got involved with Pulaski at some point, right? <laughs> find out in this episode. Yes, he did. <laughs> A little awkward. It seems like Riker did not know about that. <laughs> so Kyle is obviously living his life. Yeah. yeah. It's. I think, again, just showing how selfish he is and not reaching out to not only Pulaski, but he seems to have lots of other friends in the room. People like, Hey Kyle, how's it going? Oh yeah. And he, he's done all this work, I guess, as this civilian strategist and a lot of people have gotten to know him, but he hasn't gotten to know his, his son. Let me say a couple of things. I don't often get into the personal details of my life, but I haven't, I've had this on and off again relationship with my dad for a lot of my life. Um, He's felt kind of, distant at some points and not really kind of engaging with me because of some other things going on in his life. I've had periods of time like the last couple of years where I haven't really talked to him. We've gotten in some some big disagreements. So there's something about this whole like Kyle Riker, Will Riker situation that I can really relate to and how, you know, Kyle Riker comes aboard and he's like, hey, how's it going? And And Riker's like, Okay, I haven't seen you for like 15 years. Please escort this gentleman over to his quarters, you know, like keeping it keeping mm. it very formal. And so I can I think I can I can relate to that because I think Will feels like he wasn't there for him and it's like, okay, you're coming now and I've done fine on my own for like the last 15 years, right? I haven't really needed you for anything. So why are you coming here now? And he's doing it under this kind of deception where it's like oh i'm here to give you your mission orders okay tell me about it well it's all in this little chip here (laughs) he's like so why are you here he's like well i wanted to get to know you son and it's like okay feels a little too little too late i mean at the same time i can feel for someone like kyle Riker, for whom it seems like it's hard for him to really like open up and he probably often has this kind of you know tough or or distant facade because possibly because of the experience that he went through. For my own dad, it's not the same thing. You know, it, my mom didn't die, you know, a long time ago. But people go through 
experiences of different kinds that can be traumatic and turn them into something different and it can affect their relationships with their children. So I can understand it from that perspective, but I can also understand it from Will's perspective where it's like, why do I even need you in my life? I've been just fine. You didn't make the effort. You're coming by under, you know, this kind of subterfuge and like what's going on here. I think it is interesting that they decide to kind of have it out in this Ambo Jitsu ring. And at the end of it, it's Kyle's like, I love you. And was like, I love you too. Glad you came here. And it's like, really, is it that easy? <laughs> I don't know. It seemed like, and, and you have, you know, this scene with Pulaski and Troy, they were like, God, these men and their barbaric sports to work things out. It seems like a little odd for the episode, but but I can very much relate to to what's going on and kind of see it a little bit from both sides. And I think that be it can be a, a it can be a tough situation because like as a child growing up, if you feel like your parents didn't like pay a certain amount of attention to you or understand you in a certain way, it's hard to get that back later. It's really hard, you know. And I felt that myself. Yeah. Well, that was pretty serious. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay. I just felt felt like I I had. I mean, but but also I think that. Um, yeah, I know that's serious. I don't often get personal on Earl Grey, but I felt like I related a lot to this, to this situation. Um, and, you know, we don't really see Kyle again. It's just in this particular circumstance. I mean, what do you guys think happens after this? Like, is it still just kind of maybe they'll see each other every 15 years or does something important happen here? You know, it would have been great if we saw Kyle at the wedding. Oh, in Nemesis. we didn't. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think, and it's funny you bring up their little, you know, fight in the Ambu Jitsu and now everything's all kumbaya, <laughs> but it, it's funny because as a teacher, like I see, you know, when, and sorry to sound so stereotypical, but it, it does happen a lot. I've seen it with much frequency where, you know, two uh, girl friends get in a fight and it lasts for weeks and months. And I'm noticing the, the interactions even within the classroom. And I'm like, we're here to do math. And you guys are worried about this little tiff that you have. And, you know, and then with like two boy friends, you know, they're like upset for a day and then they have it out. And unfortunately, when I was at uh, a different school, you know, there'd be a fight in the quad area or whatever. And then like the next week, they're all fine and there's no really major issue. And I'm like, um, I thought you guys hated each other, but like they just work it out, throw a few punches and then we're good. You By the know, way, we're not um, recommending this method no. for either friendships or parenting relationships. <laughs> yes, let's be clear. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying one's better or whatever, but it, I have seen, seen, it seen that yeah. pattern. <laughs> yes, I've seen it happen and that they show that on the show, you know, just sort of this stereotypical, if you will, of, oh, we're going to have a fight and now everything's all better, you know. Um, so I do like to think that Kyle and Will are on better footing. I think that because, like you said, Richard, like Will is who he is. I think, well, he he is who he is because of how his father, you know, treated him and and their relationship. Like Will has made the best of that situation and and he is very self-sufficient. He doesn't need his father, but um there maybe is a need in a different way of having 
you know, a, a familiar relationship because we don't really see him have much other family outside of his father. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's, you know, and I've been, I know my daughter's only eight, <laughs> but like, um, I've been reading a lot about, um, uh, one of the biggest problems that a lot of people have is uh, when their kids get older is that transition going from parent to, I guess, parent friend. And, mm -hmm. you know, you don't obviously want to be their friend, drink a buddy or whatever, you know, or at least I don't, <laughs> but like, it, it's just like, it, it, when they're it, not as dependent on you. Right. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah well, to get that adult. Right parent-child relationship well, instead of the parent yeah and then yeah. a lot of a lot of parents forget to let go and you know they, they you know the kid might have let go but the parent never got to or or mm -hmm. what or vice versa i mean i don't know but i mean it's something i've been reading lately is that you know a lot of parents do have a problem with transitioning from going from parent to friend or or not parent <laughs> but like yeah i mean maybe that's maybe that's ultimately what's going on that you know Riker, um or his, uh, Riker wasn't able to uh let go uh of his father and um his father was and he thought he was ready at like i don't know probably 15 or 16 15. or something like that yeah yeah so yeah. yeah well and and i relate to that a lot too because i was basically on my own from the time i went to college at 17 almost 18 so it's like what do I need you for? Yeah, it's, it's, mm. I think it's a, it's, it's a really tough thing. And I think despite some of the flaws in the episode, it, it, I think it's really good in just portraying some of this difficult relationship, even though working it out is a little too easy. Shall we talk about the next one? I think we should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about data and him being a father to Lal in the episode, The Offspring. Always just makes me sad to think about, but let's talk about it anyway. I know. <laughs> so uh, Amy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, this is an amazing episode. And one thing I wanna point out with Data is that he has a desire to be a father. And I think so many times in many different situations, you don't want, or we see characters that don't want to be fathers and oops, I'm a father, you know, type of situation. And here we have data specifically doing the research and building this positronic net. To but let's pause for a minute to think like how unusual of a parent child relationship that is. He's like building her like from scratch. Yeah. You know, and so the intention is fully there and, and how being a father starts at that creation moment of, with that desire to be a father. Uh, I think that's very well highlighted in this episode. Yeah, it, it, I, I wish all fathers were like that, and it didn't happen right? to be, oops, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. And As yeah. we'll see. Well, or what can, what can happen sometimes also is that they're, they're – two people and one of them wants to have a child. The other's kind of like, eh, and gets kind of maybe pushed into it a little bit and doesn't want it mm -hmm. as much. But, but uh, yeah, data has this complete desire. Like it seems possible that I can create something of myself to continue. And he actually, you know, puts in his own pathways into her. So really it's very much like that kind of parent child relationship where it's, you know, part you. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's, it's really great that it's so so in, intentional. At the same time, Picard gets upset about it. Like, why did you tell me about this? 
and that no other parent on the ship has to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, would you tell that to a, uh, another crew member that's human? <laughs> that's, that's, no, yeah, that's exactly. Data's point. Like, yeah. oh, I didn't yeah. realize you had to, you know, approve all the procreation. Get approval on the ship. for procreation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> although, although Picard does become really his his advocate uh, later on, but but yeah, I mean, like in in watching the episode, I mean, it's you see him be so patient, like like lol this is a painting and lol this is a chair and oh you know let me help you with that you're having trouble drinking from a glass and you're spilling it he is just so incredibly like patient and helping her at every single turn that it's just it's so wonderful to see and that's what makes it all the more heartbreaking when you know she dies in 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 the end but uh, you know possibly out of anybody on this list it seems like he's just the the most intentional about it and the like the most patient and kind of kind and and loving in this whole situation well and i think like he i guess is drawing from his own personal experience and and remembers it so well that yeah he's walking lol through each but he of actually these doesn't remember and- a lot of that right they wiped his memory up to the point that he was found so he yeah. doesn't remember actually kind of growing up but he knows how she processes information, True, yeah. you know, which I think might be a slight advantage because when you have children, you know, they <laughs> they don't have the same in, um, brain pathways. Yeah. <laughs> the right, same way. exactly. Yeah. You know, so Data definitely is the perfect father for Lal, you know, because of that. And, you know, I love that he allows her the experiences and the freedom to choose, you know, say for example, her own sex that she wants to be female instead of male and yeah. And appearance and everything like that. Like that is, you know, just so awesome for him to even say, because so many times parents are like, well, you're going to do it this way. I have these expectations of you, you know, which sometimes can hurt a parent child relationship, but data just goes at it and says, this is your life. I will support you. I will help you learn. I will be there for you. But you make the choice for you. And that's what a great example. And and, and he even, you know, works her through some really difficult things. Like when the, the, the children are laughing at some of the things that she's doing in school. And he has to explain like, no, that's not good. They're laughing at you. It's like, oh, why would they do that? And he really explains it. He's not going to like sugarcoat things and say, oh, no, you, you know, they, they thought you were hilarious. You know, he's going to say, I'm sorry, but they're being a little mean to you. And here's why that happens. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. It is really great to see. Speaking of children, I got my dog right here in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> That's another episode. Pets of the next know, generation. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I like also that data is like seeking advice. I think he's seeking Dr. Crusher's advice about being a parent and he's, and he's read all of this stuff from all of these different cultures. He's trying to be like, so prepared. He's like the perfect student of parenting or he's trying to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like his intention to be a father is just yeah, so, so good. It's what we strive to be. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> so, Zach Moore makes fun of me a little bit, but there is a novel that follows up on this episode. So a couple Ooh, of novels, which actually. One? Well, probably the ones that most might most directly are the Cold Equations trilogy that David Mack wrote. I don't want to give too much away, but it is a follow-up and it's it's pretty amazing. This is not the end of the story, okay. at least in the novels. So, But I also wonder like, if she hadn't died in this episode, if she 
had gone on or maybe had some difficulty, what would have been like going forward for her to be on the ship and for him to be like a parent? Have you guys thought about what that would have been like? No, (laughs) no, no. And I wonder, would she go into Starfleet, you know, sort of going back to that idea of expectations? Like, would that be the expectations that she would have or, you know, how, what could be her experiences in learning about life on a starship? Like it's a sort of a, a closed bottle, if you will. Yeah. Well, she might be like an unruly teenager too, just disobeying all his, <laughs> what he, everything he has to say. Yeah. It would have been interesting because from that you could probably see like some of the struggles data might've had in growing up, but. Well, I don't know if she started disobeying, he just download a subroutine of you must follow my directions at all time. You know, that'd be pretty cool as a parent. <laughs> maybe, or maybe he would think it's a natural part of her development that she has to experience and he can't just cover it over. So anyway, it's just something I thought about when I was watching the episode. Well, let's talk about more of Data's family, Noonien Sung, Data's father, um, who we see in the episode Brothers, and we also see him as a hologram and birthright part one and inheritance so maybe we'll focus mostly on brothers but like what what do you think of Noonien Sung as as a father Richard and I guess it could apply to data and lore and I don't before, know I mean maybe. <laughs> there's not really much information you know like there's not really much I mean we really I mean, we learn more about uh, what was the, what was the uh, mother's name? The Juliana Tainer. Yeah, there you go. We, we we learn probably more about him back that back there. But like, it's just there's not much information to go off of, especially when we do like brothers. I mean, obviously they he he recalls him for the motion chip, and then funny enough, lore. You know, he didn't realize he was uh, put to, put back together. But um, it's not just the emotion chip, though. I think he calls him back because he knows he's dying as well. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. And, yeah. Well, and, yeah, exactly. And, you know, really, we don't really see much of him being a parent. It's more like, hey, I'm saying my last goodbyes to you. Um, here's my last gift to you. And, you know, it, it's kind of it's hard to, you know, really say that he, if he's a good father or not because he was pre-programmed. Well, I- However, <clears throat> all this time, Data didn't know that he survived, right? True. Up yeah. to this point, because we don't see Juliana Tanner inheritance till later and find out more of like what happened that he was left behind. But but like, what does it say about him as a father that he escaped from this planet? He's been following his Starfleet career and did not bother to get in contact with him this whole time. Ooh. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's been like 25 years or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I mean... It, it, I, I still think that he, it's it's a little different because you know he basically built Data and really there's not much. Well, but of a, Data built Lal and and he's very much a father to her. So yeah. is it different? Well, and and that's sort of what I was thinking along the lines with you, Richard. That it's like you know, albeit a creation, you know, is it this father? If you yeah, will. but is, but I mean, but all parents do create their children through you know a more like natural process, but. I would say him serving in, in in the Federation and or in Starfleet, and then you know having that interaction, that would be more of a father figure to him. I mean, it's you could say that he's a uh, he's a absent father, not by choice because he had to leave. I mean, it wasn't his; it wasn't necessarily his fault. But then again, if he thought he was already dead, then and he's recorded as dead, 
maybe he's running from the law. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Maybe he's on the run. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, as we saw in Enterprise, I mean, he's not really a good person. <laughs> really, his but ancestor. Like, <laughs> We're not uh, talking yeah. about Noonien there. <laughs> yeah, but like, I mean, you know what I mean. I'm just saying, like, it's it. Maybe yeah. that's what that's. Maybe that's the reason why. I mean, there's probably another alternative motive hmm, okay. uh, why he's laying low. <laughs> I could I could see that. But I mean I think it does reveal some things about him. Like in in Brothers, Soong is kind of I think Data is asking, like, why did you create me? And and kind of step by step, in a way like what Data does for Lal, he just walks him through it like, okay, why do people care about things in the past? Why is it so important? Okay, why is it so important to have this sense of continuity and to continue? So he kind of walks him through like why it's important that that he was created and why why he did that, which which I I, I like you know quite a bit. It it is I mean maybe there is something else like he's running from the law or something and he can't contact him until he's he's dying. But I I think you know the other thing with him as as a parent is Lore comes in in that episode and he didn't realize that Lore was still alive somewhere right. But Lore has all of this mm-hmm. resentment, but he does try to like calm him down and i mean nuni and sung seems to be the only person that even for any short span of time <laughs> can deal reasonably with with lore so i think that says something about him and and also like you know the other one of the other places we see nuni and sung it, it was you know as part of a i guess a dream sequence really is in birthright part one and and i i, I love those parts because data has unlocked this part of himself that Noonien and Sung had put in there. And I just think it's great that he was thinking ahead to that, like some kind of expanded experience that has nothing really to do with his specifically like surviving or his duties or anything like that, but a form of creative expression for him. So we do just see little bits, but I like some of the things that, that he he's doing for, for data to set him up. But I, I guess we, it's, it's a little hard to judge him as mm-hmm. as a father though because it is an unusual relationship even more unusual than data and lol because data has this uh, has like laid down all of these pathways and things like that and is it's it's a little, just a little hard to judge yeah but i think he has his good points and other things where it's not quite explained like why he's absent for so long maybe i don't know <laughs> all right so should we talk about the next one yes we should let us talk yes. about Worf as a father. Yes. <laughs> uh, Amy, what do you think about Worf as a father? I know a lot of people say he's a terrible father, maybe the worst father, but what do you think? Yeah, he's not a good father. Um, I I struggle because you know, when you think about Klingons and tradition and, you know, shaming the family for seven generations, like this, this whole idea of tradition and building family is so important and inherent in the culture. And then we have Worf that just isn't even going to put forth an effort. And I, that's maybe a little too harsh because I would like to believe that Worf is doing the best he can. And you want to have that assumption with everyone that yes, is this the best that he can be? Um, very taken off guard. He did not know that he was a father, had this kid dropped off. Um, I just would have liked to have seen him take a more active role and, and try a little bit harder, but maybe he just couldn't 
So I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt, but his actions and how he dismisses Alexander almost at every turn and tries to slough him off and is is very difficult that he's not dealing with his behavior and his actions as a father. I don't know. It's just tough. Okay. What do you think, Richard? All right, here we go. <clears throat> no, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, so Worf reminds me of me as a father. It really, he really does. Um, not saying that I would abandon my daughter or anything like that, but I'm just saying like he's, I, I mean, okay. So like I've said it before, he's he's a person of lot with lots of discipline, and he's a workaholic. He knows he does what he does, which is security very well. One of the, and I think that part of the reason, you know, in my own, in my, the way I'm thinking it is that, you know, he's afraid of being a father. Um, it's some, probably something that he doesn't understand. He doesn't um, uh, quite fully understand. And I, I, I sympathize with that because I didn't know how to be, a, I mean, I have all these figures, you know, people in my life, my own dad, you know, several other people that are very good fathers. And, um, you know, which, which do I want to be? Do I want to be that stern and strict father or do I want to be that tough love father or do I want to be, um, the very gentle, um, giant (laughs) or something like that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's, 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 it really, it's a balance of all three. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to figure that out. Um, and then of course every child's different and, you know, then, then, Later on down the road, you have you have the issue of uh, playing favorites and all that, but yeah, you know, well, that's another whole issue. <laughs> but like, it's just it's very. I mean, I I sympathize with them. I mean, when it comes to like how he treats Alexander, when you have two people that are the same thing, especially when it comes to a child, and they're basically the spitting image of you, it's very difficult to deal with that because you know how it works for you. That may not be the case with. Um, with Alexander and, and whatnot. So, I mean, trying to find that balance is the worst thing. I mean, not the worst. It's the most challenging part of being a father. And for sure, you know, Alexander pushes back being that rebel. I mean, at that young age or whatever, whatever age he is, like what, nine or 10 or something like that. Klingon think, years are different than human years. Yeah, well, exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, it's very difficult to go through that. And I, I sympathize for Worf. Now as him being a good father, Shipping him off to basically military school or boarding school is not really my <laughs> my definition of a good father, um, because that's basically avoiding the situation. To me, you know, you need to ramp down your own life. I mean, well, he's you're threatening that, to do that, but he doesn't actually send him off. He should that well, at this point. Yeah, but he should. Yeah, well, I mean, it's that it's that you know clear uh, that clear you know avoiding the whole being a father. And I really think, like I said, you know, I've always said it before too. It, it was a great opportunity for him to become a father. And they didn't, really didn't do that in deep space nine. I mean, well, you saw him like later on, on, on the, what the Rushenko, or not Rushenko. Um, <laughs> what is that? What is that ship called? Um, the IKS, um, uh, Martok ship. Yeah, um, yeah. Deep, I'm not remembering the name now. I but, can't remember the but name. But yeah, he do, I mean, in Deep Space Nine, he does end up joining the Klingon Defense Forces anyway, and he's a bit of a laughingstock, which is a shame. Clumsy. Yeah, it is a shame. <laughs> it is. But in the, I, I haven't watched that episode for a while, but I think at the end, it's like, oh, well, that's my purpose. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay. 
and, and I kind of like the relationship that they had in Deep Space Nine after he, you know, came to grips uh, or came to accept that his son is a klutz, basically. I mean, and I really like I really like that. I really wish they would have done something like that in TNG to had him be a klutz. <laughs> well, not maybe not that, but like something where he accepted him. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, that he accepts. You know, Alexander for who he is and not having all these expectations. You must be this. You must be right. like this. You have to accept every single culture. I mean, Alexander's not full Klingon and, you know, and he should be embracing his mother's side and his humanity. And, you know, Worf just sees it so one way. And it's like, dude, this is a, a child. He's going to be his own person. So love him for who he is and not what you think he should be. Mm. Oh, uh, so so Richard, I looked it up. Uh, Martok's ship is the Rotaran. Rotaran, yes. Hey, I, I was close. It had an R. You were. <laughs> got the R-O. The, yeah. Well, okay. So I... Th- so in I, I I watched a lot of the episodes where you see Worf and Alexander together in TNG. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say... He had Worf has his issues, but he's not as bad of a parent, I think, as a lot of people think, because I think there's a focus on certain scenes and certain moments. So as like as I was going through it, I think Worf and Alexander are together in something like five or six episodes of the Next Generation. So so first it's in Reunion where Kalar is bringing Alexander aboard. Worf didn't know about it, and and all of that. And Worf has a lot of difficulty, and it's like, why didn't you tell me? I'm not ready for this. All 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 that kind of stuff. And he's kind of telling Alexander, like, this is what's honorable and this is what isn't. And he's, and he's kind of stern. Why? <laughs> <I know>. He <laughs> keeps mean, asking I mean, why, right? But yeah, the <laughs> kids do that. I asked why way too many times. But, but like, what, what's, what's interesting about that, that episode is that, you know, Kalar's dying and Worf and Alexander are, are there. And he says to, you know, look and always remember what, what death looks like. Right. So they, they have that. But then what I think to push back a little bit on the notion that he's not a very good father at, at all. At the end of it, Alexander asks, like, OK, so are you my father? And he's like, yes, I am your father. And they actually, you know, have a nice little embrace there. So there are moments where he is a little gentler to Alexander, actually showing him some some physical affection. So I think if he was like the worst father in the world, he wouldn't do anything like that and he would be he would be really cold. Yeah, yeah, and like what Richard brought up last week where Worf goes in in new ground and, you know, saves his son from the fire yeah. that's happening, like, you know, that definitely shows he cares and he is learning, you know, what it means to be a father and a protector. Um, so that's why I'd like to assume that Worf is doing the best he can. It's just well. Let, let me continue in. Best let me continue good. in my case in the <laughs> okay. case that I'm trying to make. Yes, because like at the end of that episode, New Ground as well. Like he saves him from from the fire with this, you know, superhuman or super Klingon feat of strength. I guess you could say. And and then like at at the end, you know, he's he's saying that he thinks his his mother would be pleased by him accepting the challenge of of living on on the ship. Um, and again, they embrace and they seem to smile at each other a little bit. So there is kind of like this warmth and this softness to Worf in some of those moments that we don't see elsewhere. But also I think about something like ethics, which we had talked about in the last episode, where Worf 
is is going through this trying to think about like should he do the ritual suicide when it comes to the point like he Worf could very well have been if he was trying to be like Mr. Super Klingon have been like I don't care if it's my son but he does not do that because he knows that that would be something that Alexander would find a hard time understanding and that would be really traumatic for him and at the end of that also after he's gone through the surgery he's had some difficulty earlier on like he fell and he's like alexander has to go away right but at the end of the episode even though he's fallen he's like alexander i could use your help here and there's i think a really touching moment at the end of that episode where he's kind of holding him up and helping him go through that it's weird that these all happen at the end of the episodes but but there are like these glimpses and these moments that tell me that there's something more there and that it's not just all about you know honor and sternness and and being strict and i i mean he definitely has his issues he's not the best parent on this list for sure but i think that there are things that you see where he's actually opening up to alexander in ways that he does not open up to hardly anyone else and so i i think that and and there's i know i've gone on for a while about this to try to make my case but I want to give you know one more example, which is the episode of Fistful of Datas. A Fistful of Datas is basically about Worf getting some time off, Alexander wanting to have a fun adventure in the holodeck. They have a fun adventure, and at the end of it, Worf is basically like, yeah, let's do this again. This was great. I mean, how often do you see that where Worf is like, I had a great time. Let's do that again. It's so against the stereotype of him. So I think Alexander does bring up some things in him that you don't see elsewhere and that he does have elements of being a good father. It's just that his essential failure and his essential problem is that he doesn't understand that that Alexander spent some time growing up with Kalar, who's half human and isn't very much into Klingon ways, and that he's part human himself and is in this difficult situation where he doesn't really feel as Klingon as trying to find his own identity. That's Worf's essential failure, not real, recognizing that Alexander has his own identity that he's trying to 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 get to but i think that he really is like trying in his way to open up in small ways in order to to be a better father right but he's not the the best for sure but i don't think it's the worst he could possibly be because if it was the worst he would like never give him words of encouragement never be have any softness or warmth toward him never embrace him never want to have fun on the holodeck with him you know what i mean like it it could be far worse, and I think he gets a really bad reputation where it's not that bad, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, end of my rant. <laughs> Compelling arguments, Justin. Very well said. <laughs> yeah, I th- yeah, Worf is doing the best that he can. I know. You just think the best he can isn't very good. <laughs> he could have done better. <laughs> but you know what? Like, Sorry to get personal again, but like, there are Worf is supposed to be like this, like like stern, honorable Klingon, but there are these moments there where he is giving like support and encouragement and, and, you know, having some kind of like warmth or understanding that I never got in my childhood from my father. Like, so Mm. if that's the standard I put it against, you know, I think that he's, Uh he's, he's not doing as bad as it might seem. So Mm -hmm. anyway. Very good. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) I just had to get that out there because I've heard it so much like Worf is the worst father and I don't really think that's the case. Lots of problems, but (laughs) yeah. Okay. And we'll see people in the Babel conference. We'll see what you think. (laughs) Yeah. Let us know. So now that we've eaten up like half of the show with that. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Uh, 
Well, I think some of these, there isn't as much to go on. So another one that we should make sure to mention is Sergei Rojenko, who is Worf's foster father. I think we already talked about him a little bit in the mother's section because what Helena and Sergei are doing um, in the episode family kind of goes hand in hand. Like Sergei is so so proud of Worf and loves him so much. But, but Helena's like, okay, enough with the stories. You're embarrassing him a little bit. But but I think it's really clear that that he does love Worf. He's the father that we want, but don't want everyone to see. <laughs> <laughs> like bursting with pride and embarrassing you, right? right. Yeah, exactly. yeah, unconditional. Yeah, pr- yeah, so proud of my son and just so happy. And, uh, you know, and you can just see, and you know those parents, it's like, you know, spend time with me, be with me. It was funny when, uh, well, it's a mother story, but you know, my mom and I, we sort of have this thing where it's like, I love you. And we sort of pat each other, you know, cause it's like this uncontrollable need to be with each other. And, and <laughs> I just get that from Sergey, just like, be with me. I love you. And so <laughs> uh, yeah. it's great. Well, I like in that episode that, I mean, he is the one that says that they're so concerned about his discommendation. Like we heard about that and we wanted to know what, what was going on. I mean, he is like in some ways the opposite of, of Kyle Riker, who like is just kind of absent. They isn't going to find mm-hmm. out what's going on. Sergey's like, oh my goodness, we heard about this discommendation that happened not long ago. What's going on? How can we help you? You know? Yeah. So I think he's, he seems to be a, a pretty good father and maybe one of the, the, the best ones on the list, at least from the s- small bits that we see. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Any other thoughts or should we, is that all we have to say about no, that? was it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about another one we don't see too much of, and that's uh, Ian Troy, who is uh, Deanna's father. We basically, you know, we we hear about him that he uh, he died when she was young, but we and we see like this image of him in Dark Page inside Loxana's mind, um, and I think we find out that it it seems like. Deanna has fondness for him. After all, you know, the episode The Child, she names her child after him, right? And she remembers being sung to sleep by him and all of that. So it seems like there's a certain, like, fondness uh, for him. But, like, what sense do you guys get from the little that we know? So I look at Ian Troy as a great father because he has a great relationship with Luwaxana. Like you can see their love for each other and you can empathize with how much patience he has to have with Luoxana and, you know, her love for him. And, and so that translates to him being a good father because they have a healthy, loving, you know, parent relationship between Luoxana and Ian. So I see it as he is definitely a good father. And from what little we learn singing her, you know, singing to Troy and, you know, loving her. And I, I just, but I like to see it as, you know, his, their love, Luoxana and Ian's, therefore is going to make him a better uh, parent and a better father. I could see that. And also I think in a fistful of data, as we find out that he told her stories of the ancient West, which she really liked. <laughs> so yes. yeah, it seems like he's doing good things for her. What do you think, uh, Richard? I mean, there's not much to go off of. Yeah. I mean, I would hope he's a good father. <laughs> I mean, I, it, I, it, lack thereof, you know, really don't hear about him. I mean, didn't didn't they say that uh, he also worshipped Waxana? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that. Well, I think that's what Waxana says. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whether that that may be her person or right. uh, 
perception yeah. of it. But, but I mean, yeah. for, for someone to be like married to a Loxana and, and seem to be happy, I mean, I think you'd have to have a special personality for that. Yeah, you kind of have yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving along, um, another one we don't see too much of is Edward LaForge, who is Jordy's father. We just see him in a conversation that they have in the episode Interface. So <laughs> it's like the, this ship, the Hera, is missing with Jordy's mother. He seems fairly accepting and calm about it. I don't know. He, he doesn't seem like too terribly broken up. And he's like, Jordy, it's, you know, it's lost. I'm really sorry, but going to have to accept it. So, it, and I don't know, I got this impression of him, like maybe he was a little bit distant, but what do you guys think of him, Amy? Well, I think that was sort of written just to play off how dismissive and then to contrast that with Jordy's concern. Um, so I'm not going to hold it against Edward LaForge, but I think it does show that they are in communication and it sort of seems like Jordy has a good relationship with his siblings and, and that that's an okay uh, family relationship there. So I'll give kudos to Edward for being a good father. Okay. Although I think we find out that, that both he and Silva are in Starfleet and sometimes they're in different ships and different missions. So sometimes Jordy is with one mm-hmm. of them and sometimes with the other, which could be difficult. But uh, what do you think, Richard? The, uh I know we don't find out too much. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, they they all seem to be very calm people. I guess into the uh, in a very stressful situation, like you know, miss the the missing of his wife. But I mean, I again, you can't really go (laughs) off of anything really except for you know, oh yeah, he looks pretty calm. (laughs) Well, yeah, they saved him from a fire, so that says something. Or maybe, or maybe they have experienced this before, and that it turned out to be nothing. And maybe they think it's the same thing. I, I, I don't know. I well, mean, but 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 his father is already saying that they're planning the the service for it. So I think they think it's gone. So well, anyway, I think we've blazed through a couple of them, but I think we're going to talk a bit more about these next ones because, well, for one of them, I have to torture Richard. We're going to talk about Jack Crusher. Wesley's father. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> now, we hear a lot about Jack Crusher starting even at the beginning that his father had died on a mission. He was part of the Stargazer. Picard had to deliver the news to them. So we hear a lot about him, but and we see him in in a hologram and family and in a vision and in Journey's End. Like, but but I think what's interesting is that that hologram in in family that Wesley sees, it seems to say a lot about him because this is something Jack recorded when Wesley was less than a year old and he's he's being so like open with him he's saying like I didn't know what to expect when I was being a father I hope you don't resent me for being gone too much it kind of comes with this with this uniform but but he's also telling me like I can see in your face all of the people I've loved your mother my mother my father you know all of our family so it's this really like supportive message so that that seems to tell a lot about the kind of person that he was to me um but what do you think amy yeah i think jack crusher again shows this great intention of being a good father and understanding the risks of being in starfleet and that he might end up being killed and is going to you know send this letter to you know his son and to be seen when he's like 18 right yeah, you know, and and what foresight and to have to do that and just you know, 
I don't know really anyone, any father that's done that in my personal life or any friends, you know, yeah. it just seems so awesome. And, and you, you see like, you know, at their first birthday and they'll take, you know, little video clips and this is, you know, and, and it's like the kid's one year old. What are you saying to the kid? But, you know, for the future, I think it shows great intent and, and definitely, you know, that he loves Wesley and, you know, I just, and again, his relationship with, uh, Beverly showing that love there and, and Wesley is an expression of their love, I think is, is very beautiful. Richard? You sound like what I what I say to Jennifer when uh, giving a uh, like a two year old a birthday card. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, she's not going to remember it. <laughs> so, yeah, but like, yeah, no, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, again, uh, you know, not much to go off, but I mean that message. Yes, you're right. It does say a lot about um, who he was. Uh, that you know, he wants to be understanding at the same time, you know, he wants to be there, um, for him, but, uh, he, he's come to the grips of, um, you know, understanding that this job very well could take him away and, um, keep him away for a long period of time, or in this case, death. Um, and yeah, it's, it sucks. Hopefully he, uh, uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's too bad he didn't make more of them. I mean, you know, I think he intended to, but, no, I know, but yeah. I'm saying like if he's like, I mean, when did when did he die? He did, um, when Wesley was what? Um, it wasn't like it when he was one years old because because Wesley remembers um, uh, Picard giving them the news, so he's a couple of years old. So I mean, yeah, but I think I think what ended up happening, maybe there's more background from the novels, but he ended up I think being assigned to the Stargazer and it's a very like long deep space mission, so I think he was gone for a couple years or something like that. Yeah, but I think he intended <clears throat> to to do more of them. But I think, yeah, Wesley was probably at least a couple of years years old. I can find out for sure. So he died in twenty three fifty three, and Wesley would have been five. So yeah, he at least remembered something of his father, a, a glimpse of his father. I mean, really. I mean, it, so I I I really think he, uh, he he's pretty. I would hope he's a good father. Based on that message, I, I guess that's all we really have to go off of. So at least his intentions seem good. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's not one of those oops fathers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you mentioned that a couple times. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, let's move on to our last one, which I don't know, maybe unexpected uh, on our list, and that would be Gal Madrid, uh, who, of course, is the basically Cardassian torture of Picard in especially Chain of Command Part 2. And there is a scene where you see his his daughter there and Picard is really questioning how this works with Cardassian culture and, and, and what he's doing. I think there's a really interesting scene there. But, but like it also brings into focus, like what we've been talking about has been basically about, you know, human or let's say Betazoid or Klingon um, uh, parenting, and this is about Cardassian parenting, and they're a very different culture. Richard, what do you think about Golmadred as as a father? <sighs> His heart is in the right place, but the method is not. I, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, the Cardassians are. Is it a totalitarian sort sort of sort of like society? Um, basically naturalistic, very, very naturalistic. And, um, you know, 
it's us versus them sort of mentality, uh, uh, you know, against the Federation and, and, and basically any government that's out there. And it makes sense for that kind of mentality if that's exactly what the, uh, the government was. Whereas, you know, where the Federation is more about, you know, peace and I want to say hippies of the galaxy, but that's not, that's not a, a, a appropriate. <laughs> I said, hmm. at, completely I don't know. Would accurate. you call someone like Jellico a hippie? Yeah. in starfleet <laughs> probably not uh, so, so definitely you know definitely more peaceful and uh, loving is is what i mean by that in you know it's it's definitely different um kind of um, parenting style but i mean to dehumanize someone and to make them lesser of you i mean yeah i mean obviously that's not that's never a good thing i mean you you, you would never want to do that to someone that you know or or someone or another species if we do run into another species anytime soon um that they're lesser of but like i mean it's just i i I see where i i I see where he's coming from i really do especially when she leaves the room and he starts discussing um you know the enemies of cardassia i mean if it, it but i mean that would only mean if their if their plan is to be at war with everyone for a long period of time and they're already hurting our resources as is on their own home planet so well but the, what he actually says is you know what would peace get us before the military took over there were people that were starving there was disease you know and, and there were all of these awful things which i think it's an interesting choice for the writers to to put that in because you end up starting to think about it like okay from their perspective the way that they're seeing it is that there's so much misery and suffering and this is their way out of it to care for their own people and so they have to kind of think of others as less and i think he even says that his his daughter has learned i think he says from the time she can crawl that you know, their enemies are kind of less than them and, and deserving of, of their fate. And that's kind of how they rationalize it in order to feed their people and to feel strong and all of that. So, And I could see that, you know, being that the military basically solved all those problems. I could, I could see it. I mean, and to be delu- uh, delusional about the, uh, like it like that and everything. But, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean... I mean, that's a different way of thinking of it, but I don't, I don't think it's the right, right way of thinking of it either. So yeah. I don't know. Your thoughts, Amy? Hmm. Well, Richard, you sort of changed my mind. So uh, well done with that. I was going to say, yes, Gold Madrid is a great father. But then you bring up the point of, you know, teaching to dehumanize or to think of any other race culture as less than your own. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whatever the pro- proper vocabulary is I guess from their perspective, there. it would be decardassianize. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and because, you know, I'm thinking you want your children to be better than you are. But then you continued your discussion and saying that, you know, Gol Madrid really believes that the military has made it better and therefore that is his philosophy. And so he is going to do everything uh, he can to, you know, teach his children that the military is good. We now are being fed and, you know, we have safety and we are strong. So... So with that, I'm going back and forth, actually. Like, I do believe that Golmadred is a very good father. He is teaching his daughter the ways of, you know, his job, what he is doing, um, giving her experiences, real life, hard truth experiences, but still in 
and under his care, under his control. Like he's not shipping her off. He's not sending her out to the cold, hard world. He's introducing the cold, hard world to her in a controlled environment. And And I see that as a good parent. Now, what that is saying to humans and Cardassia and culture, that aside, I think Golmadred is a good father for, for teaching his child that. I do always wonder, I'm like, well, why isn't this kid in school right now during the day? But that's neither here nor there. I think it's a really interesting case, be- and this continues in Deep Space Nine, where you see the Cardassians are kind of brutal and militaristic and have done all of these horrible things to, to, to the, the Bajorans. But at the same time, even the worst of them seems to have love and affection for their children. And you see mm-hmm. that here where, you know, in, in the opening of, of the scene, there's this, <clears throat> this pet that his daughter is caring for. And Golmadred makes sure to say, you know, like, make sure you pay attention. This animal doesn't have its, its mother anymore. It's dependent on you. In some ways, like he cares more about this pet wampat than Picard or than any human. And and mm-hmm. the way that he thinks about it and explains it is like humans don't love their children the way we do, you know? They are less than us. They are the bad parents, I think is what what he's really saying. And I think from a Cardassian perspective, from what we can see, he is a good father. He seems to to love his daughter and, you know, speak gently to her and not be too harsh toward her. But at the same time, he's doing these things that we feel like are wrong and evil, the way that he's he's torturing Picard. And Picard says that when children can devalue others, they can devalue anyone, including their parents, which is the point at which Golmadred mm-hmm. slaps him. Like, I can't believe you said that because how could our children devalue their parents because we're doing such good for them. We're making sure they're fed. So I think it's a really complex thing. And it's, I think what I would say is from a Cardassian perspective, definitely a good father from a human perspective, definitely a bad father because he's exposing her to torture and all of these terrible things that, that we think children shouldn't be exposed to or learn or devalue others. You know, I mean, it's just unthinkable in the Federation that you would teach your children, like, you know, these Cardassians don't love their children like we do. You know, they're, they're inhuman, you know? So I think it's, it's like yes and no, depending on the the perspective. And I think that's what makes it really an interesting thing to see and very different from the rest, how we're judging the rest of our list. Because even Worf, I think we have to judge from a certain human perspective, because he is on a starship where they're mostly humans, and it's a human-founded culture, the Federation. I mean, yes, there's these other cultures, but a lot of it, I think, is influenced by human values. Right. So, anyway, <laughs> very interesting to to throw that one in there. Yeah, I'm glad we got to talk about it, because, yeah, you're right. He's good and bad. Not depending good. on the per, yeah, on the perspective, yeah. and like that, that's the thing I think that Star Trek gets you to think about a lot is that things that you might value or or think are good or bad can be very different to a different culture and that's true on earth as well i mean in some countries and that's the point this is something that's good in other countries it's bad and vice versa there's just such a diversity of opinion on on a lot of these things so yeah because you're teaching and continuing this cycle of hatred and Mm -hmm. so that's not where we want to be the story is is never never uh (laughs) <laughs> judge a father by his cover <laughs> by his culture <laughs> yeah well there you go <laughs> you can do that too 
And then cue the star. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. So let's talk about our final thoughts. Uh, Amy, your final thoughts on the fathers that we've talked about in The Next Generation. Well, <clears throat> sort of comparing it with the mothers episode that we did last month, it seems to be more straightforward type of of fathers that we see compared to like if you remember from our mother's discussion like we were getting you know foster mothers and you know just sort of a lot of different types of mothers where it seems like these are all traditional fathers i mean outside well, except well, for data and nunian and sergey <laughs> yeah yeah so those two you know android and you know klingon but it just sort of seems like it's a traditional father that we see um and and, and i find that interesting uh there's seems to be not so many fathers like when i think about oh well like all the fathers are dead you know uh that sort of comes to mind but i i like that we do get to see what we do see especially with uh the the contrast of good and again quotes good father versus a bad father and and how these men are taking on the roles and and how star trek is showing the various types of relationships that fathers have with their children. Yeah, good points. Richard, your final thoughts? So in the light of Father's Day, <laughs> um, I, so I'm going to tell you guys a story uh, uh, I, that really warmed my heart uh, about being a dad. And um, this was uh, Eva's eight right now. I think she was like two or three. So I had a friend of mine come over here to my house and one of the one of the best compliments I have ever been given was you're a good dad and he gave me in at a time where I thought I was a, not a really good father cuz I didn't know exactly what she wanted obviously cuz she's like two <laughs> she's talking back <laughs> screaming and all this kind of stuff and it's like ugh, i can never win and that's how i felt for uh, uh, you know in that time frame now it's a whole different story she has a mind of her, mind of her own <laughs> yeah she does, yes, she does. she's so cute <laughs> and nothing wrong with that sometimes it doesn't yeah i don't know it, it was the one of the greatest compliments i've ever gotten and you know uh, it, it's in some of the some of, and I've read so many self help books when it comes to being a father as well, and you know it, it, it. What I've learned is that being a father is not obviously a cookie cutter uh, sort of thing, especially with each child, especially if you have multiple children. It, it, being a father to um, one kid is different from another, and I've learned that uh, quite a bit um, thanks to Eva, and. Um, you know, talking about the fathers of TNG, it just tells me that, you know, it, just like Worf, you know, we, um, there's no easy way to do this. I mean, if it was easy, then what's the point of actually doing it? Um, you know, you learn a lot uh, through yourself. You learn a lot about yourself, and I've learned a lot about myself as a father. You know, just like with uh, Gold Madrid. I mean, it's it's based on your, um, your perspective. I mean, some people... Um, believe in tough love some people don't and um and, and some people go through um those books and actually verbatim do them <laughs> which is not constructive to a child for sure um 
I, I mean, I absolutely love this. I mean, uh, I mean, I take my as as I would hope that any other father would. I take my father uh, fatherly duties very seriously, <laughs> um, and uh, I, I I absolutely love it. I would never give it up. So before I, before I sign off on this one, I want to say Happy Father's Day to everyone, um, and also to my dad, and also my grandfather. And everyone in my family, I don't want to miss anyone this time around because I got I, I took <laughs> some flack with, with my, uh, uh, with my grandmother, and uh, some, somehow someone told her, and I don't know what the hell happened. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna say everyone in my family that's a father, <laughs> um, happy Father's Day, and um, I wouldn't be the person if it wasn't for you guys. Oh, excellent. Well, and thank you for what you do as a father, Richard. It's a very important responsibility. It is very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to jump in because, you know, ever since knowing you, Richard, I've known you as a father because, you know, I've been introduced to Eva and I've had the wonderful opportunity of seeing you interact with her and knowing the sacrifices that you make for her um, and, and putting her, you know, first in your life is truly remarkable and i really do honor and respect all that you do for her and as a father and how you are building your family and just really truly respect everything that you do as a father so i'm thankful for you happy father's day <laughs> making <Thank> him cry <laughs> almost you almost happy they're starting to come up a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and i guess one thing i wanted to to say also before I really get into my final thoughts is, you know, I talked earlier in the episode that I've had a really tough relationship with my dad. I haven't talked to him for, for a little while now. But at the same time, I think I can recognize all of the, the work and sacrifices he made to make sure that we were fed and we had a roof over our head and all of that. And I do really very much appreciate that. So thank you to all of the the fathers that that do what's what's necessary for you know kids to to be brought up. So like as as far as thoughts on on these fathers and in, in the next generation, it's not an extensive list, and I don't think we necessarily like missed anybody because you know we we hear a little bit about Picard's father, but not not much. But but I think for a lot of the characters, you do see or hear about their their fathers, and they do seem to be very influential figures. I mean, in the case of like data you know he is the reason for lol's creation and sees her you know just about every moment of her lifetime which is pretty extraordinary um and i think there are you know i think what it shows like the the mothers of tng is there are these different struggles with with children and they're you know oftentimes like really trying their their best and some do better than than others but it's it's such an important role i, I think as you know, important as, as mothers. I mean, it's, it's just like, these are the, like, but, but however your family is, is structured, right? The people that are helping to take care of you when you are a child, whatever relationship they might have to you are important and do have a huge influence on, on your life. And I think we see that in, in this list. And when we talked about the mothers of TNG, they're all having a big influence. Even when you talk about Gol Madrid, just like that scene and that philosophy that he has will have a huge impact on the rest of her life in that case. So I think it's been really interesting to, to take a look at this. And it's, that's again, some interesting discussions and revelations uh, about some of these characters. So I always love when we do that. 
All right, so preview of next week. Uh, next week, uh, Amy is unfortunately away, but we'll be having uh, special guest Patrick Devlin with us, who's been on Earl Grey before, and we will be doing a commentary on the epi- on the season six episode, Suspicions. So be sure you take a look at that. You can watch along as you listen to the podcast, or if not, uh, you can just listen to it. That's, that's what I usually do, but I think we're going to enjoy talking about that episode next week. Well, it's been so fun talking about the fathers of the next generation, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, to the journey! Do you have to have the stick to be the grand proxy? The scepter? Yeah. I see it as a walking <laughs> stick. <laughs> um, is that supposed to be the grand negus's um, scepter is that the actual one oh it's a replica of course but is it supposed to be the actual one i don't know but what it reminds me of totally is old biff from back to the future old biff (laughs) with his his cane that he hits people on the head with that is totally hello (laughs) mcfly mcfly think standard orbit people are coming over and they're introducing people to him and it's my turn and he goes, Steve, uh, Jim, uh, Jimmy, I want you to meet the, the host of the convention. This is Stephen Last. And he goes, please to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you, Mr. Dewan. And he goes, hi, Steve. Nice to meet you. And he's like, what? What? <laughs> you, mean, you mean you don't talk like that? The 602 Club. In particular, I noticed that the most with either Elastigirl or Violet, because it's sort of like you and I were talking about before the show, it, Helen, Elastigirl, really shows that she's Elastigirl not only in what she does as a superhero, but in showing the things that a regular mom has to deal with. You know, whether you're a single mom or, you know, a a big family, it's something that um, traditionally they're trying to show that um, a, a parent goes through. Warp 5. Right, because Frankenstein himself like it doesn't really mistreat the monster right they've got him locked up chained up and whatnot right because he's they don't know what to do with him i guess like now that i've made this corpse well now what right like like you know it's not like a puppy never thinking about the end game just like all those you know master villains it's like yeah you uh you rule the world and then what right and that's what else is happening on trek.fm Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter, at trekfm, 
and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. So Richard, where can people contact you when you're not watching an Ambu Jitsu match? Well, now that it's been, uh, we can can we now bet on the uh, on the matches now or something like that? Now that it's legal, this is a future oh, oh. sport. Sure, I'm in Vegas. You can bet on anything. <laughs> you, you, you can bet on an event that hasn't or a sport that hasn't been invented. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you got, not advocating gambling. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> Uh, I just lost my track. There we go. Uh, so you guys can find me on Facebook. Uh, I pop in here and there on the Babel conference talking trash about Mr. W- uh, Wesley Crusher. Um, and uh, you guys can also find me on Twitter at uh, XRansom. So Justin, where can people contact you when you're not constructing Android family members? Wow. Oh, my secret's out. <laughs> <laughs> Time traveling data gave me the secret. <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Currently tweeting out my Season 5 rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not studying the schematics and diagrams of the Enterprise-D at home, just like Sergei Rojenko? Well, you can find me here on the network. I host The Edge with uh, Patrick Devlin. And that's our Star Trek Discovery podcast here on the network. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is on the Babel Conference. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you can find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and, of course, Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Today is a good day to be a good father. Things are only impossible until they're not. <laughs>